Hey, small town fam. This is Paul Holes. Make sure you subscribe to The Briefing Room with Detectives Dan and Dave. Season two is out now. Subscribe now and thanks. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the guys hands her like a three, four inch pocket knife and Anne's on her back. Yeti's on top of her, straddling her, and she has her by the throat, strangling her, and she takes that knife and she like points it right at her face. And she says, I should kill you right now. I should just kill you right now. When a serious crime is committed in a small town, a handful of detectives are charged with solving the case. I'm Yardley, and I'm fascinated by these stories. So I invited my friends, Detectives Dan and Dave, to help me gather the best true crime cases from around the country and have the men and women who investigated them tell us how it happened. I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins from small town USA. Dave investigated sex crimes and crimes against children. He's now a patrol sergeant at his police department. Dan investigated violent crimes. He's now retired. Together, we have more than two decades experience and have worked hundreds of cases. We've altered names, places, relationships, and certain details in these cases to maintain the privacy of the victims and their families. So we ask you to join us in protecting their true identities, as well as the locations of these crimes, out of respect for everyone involved. Thank you. Today on Small Town Dicks, we have the usual suspects. We have Detective Dave. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So good to see you. It's good to be here. And we have Detective Dan. Yardley. Detective Dan. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dan. Cool. I like it when you two say hello. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dave. Cool. (laughs) And we are so pleased to welcome back to the podcast one of our favorites, Detective Scott. Hello. It's great to be back. (laughs) Thanks for coming back. Yeah. So, Scott, you have a really fiery case for us today. I'm just going to let you take it from here. All right. Yeah. So a few years back in my agency, I got a call one night from a detective who was working overtime. 
So he's on our surveillance team, which is a really high-level surveillance unit that work all sorts of cases that are connected to the city and some outside as well. Do you guys at your agency have a special name for that surveillance unit? Yeah, we call them varsity because they're the cream of the crap. Nice. (laughs) So I get a call from this detective who's on varsity and he says, hey, I'm going to send you something and I want you to look into it. At the time, I was working domestic violence with kind of a hybrid sex crimes style cases. So I was working a little bit of both. I was kind of training leading into doing sex crimes. But since I had a background in gangs, he felt that this case would be right up my alley. He told me that he responded to a call at about 10.30 at night of a loud disturbance inside of a hotel room. Now, I say hotel, but I mean motel, right? This is a motel in a pretty high crime area, a very kind of transient motel. People come, they stay maybe a night, maybe a few hours, and then leave. I was picturing the Four Seasons. Yeah, no. (laughs) Okay. This is one of those roadside inns, right? Got it. So very, very prominent motel in the city I work in. Uh, A lot of crime coming out of that particular location. So he calls me and says, hey, I responded with a few guys. We did a motel check in this room. And when we got the door open, we noticed five known documented self-admitted gang members and two females in the room. And it was a mess. We arrested a few guys for parole violations. One guy we arrested for narcotics possession. And we ended up taking both females to jail on a domestic violence case. And I said, hmm, that's interesting. Why take two people to jail? You know, why not find the aggressor, like most situations call for, and take one to jail? You know, you find the predominant aggressor and that person gets removed from the situation and the other one most likely is your victim. In your jurisdiction, is it a mandatory arrest in domestic violence cases? Yeah, if there's injury, definitely someone's going to jail on a domestic violence incident. There's so many incidents where no one went to jail and then someone got severely hurt on the heels of no one going to jail. Right, the cops left and then there was like, now you're in trouble. Yes. And it's rare for us not unheard of, but it's rare that you're going to take both parties in that dispute to jail. Yes. Usually to solve the problem, you just take one away and that solves the problem for that night. Right. For that night. Yeah. And this was also different because I got a call well outside the scope of my normal duty, right? You work uh, pretty much nine to five as a detective and this is well into the night. And he says, hey, I'm going to forward you to your city email. I'm going to forward you this video. I want you to check it out and tell me what you think. So I said, okay. So a few minutes later, I open up this email and it's a video from the scene inside of the motel room. And the video is, I mean, it's a striking video to say the least. I think it's something that should be shown across multiple platforms to let people see the realness that is what ended up being human trafficking and how it really looks. This is a video taken by law enforcement or is this something they seized while they're in the room? When they make entry into the room, when the doors open, this detective sees one of the subjects in the room who was later arrested for possession of narcotics. He sees his arm extended like he's videoing an incident with his cell phone. And he says, that's kind of different, like what's going on here? And he also sees the two females towards the bed, one of them on the bed, apparently injured. 
He sees a knife. They see this scene, and it's obviously something crazy is happening, something out of the norm of five gangsters and two females in a motel room. Something's not right. So they pull these people out. They start to get information, and they talk to one guy, Martin. And Martin says, hey, yeah, you know, we were taking video. I know I was taking video, and some of these other guys were taking video. So the detective asks for consent to look at the video that was being shot. And he has consent from, I think, two of the three videographers, right, to look at the video. Why do they need consent to view those videos on those phones if it's obvious a crime is being committed? A phone is much like a computer, and you have a right to privacy in your phone and your computer. Right. So if you don't get consent, then you seize the phones and you write a search warrant because that stuff can be remotely erased by the owner of that phone. Remotely erased. Yeah, you can log in from your laptop and scrub your phone. So you're okay to seize it, but you can't look in it. Yeah, and honestly, there's quite a process when you seize a phone like that where you have maybe an inkling that they're going to remotely scrub their phone, that we have these bags that will shield so you can't log into that phone. It's basically a barrier. Oh, wow, that's cool. Because a lot of these phones, once you power them on again and you try to log in, the first order of business for that phone, if you've remotely scrubbed it, is it just erases everything. So we put them in these bags that protect it. We have boxes also that shield cell. Like a black box. Yeah, it's a big vault. You know, like premature babies where they have the little gloves that go into the little premature baby incubator. Oh. <laughs> Right, if you want to hold your baby, you mean. That's what these boxes look like, and you can manipulate the phone, and it can remain in the box because there's this barrier around it. That's sometimes what we have to do to work on these phones. That's so interesting. Wow. Okay, we digress. So, Scott, last you were saying your detective is giving consent to look at the videos. What does he see? He looks at Martin's video, which shows one angle of the fight, and then he looks at this second subject's cell phone, which is the opposite view. Obviously, it shows the same thing, just from different angles. And as you watch it, you know, it's hard to kind of make sense of this. Like, why is this happening? Like, why is this one female <laughs> severely beating this other female? That doesn't seem like a, a domestic violence. This is like a gang beef. Your investigative mind starts spinning. Like, what would cause this to happen? And why would there be five subjects egging on this confrontation between these two females. Why is this happening? So the five guys are egging on the fight of the two females, no way trying to break it up. Oh, yeah. The entire time they're filming and they're encouraging the bigger female who... Uh, What's her name? Her name is Yeti. That was her moniker, her kind of gang name, right? They called her Yeti. And why do they call her Yeti? Well, I'll give you one guess. She was a pretty hefty woman. I mean, she was not to be trifled with. I would not want to engage in a fight with her. Yeti's not afraid to throw hands either. No, Yeti can throw hands very well. The way she was throwing her hands was impressive. I was like, oh man, she can throw a punch. She like had good arm movement, good hip movement. She'd been in multiple fights before. This isn't her first go around. And she's beating on Anne. And Anne is a 24-year-old female that's maybe five foot one, kind of a smaller docile female. And some of the words Yeti's saying, like uh, she's saying, I can't believe you'd step out on us, bitch, right? Stuff like that. Yeti's saying that to Anne? Yeah, Yeti's saying that to Anne. 
you know, where'd you go? Where'd you go? What were you doing? Who are you talking to? It wasn't, to me, domestic violence. It was, wait, is Anne a gangster too? Are they on like a weekend binge and Anne's going to go rat these people out? Like, what's going on here? What's a weekend binge? Well, you know, sometimes gangsters will get together, you know, three or four. They'll rent a motel room, take a bunch of methamphetamine or cocaine or whatever drug of choice and live out of a certain hotel room in a certain city, get high, go out and commit crime, come back, get high, go out and commit crime, come back, right? And they just kind of float around on a crime binge, whether it's breaking into cars and stealing things, robbing liquor stores, you name it, they do it. Stealing cars, stuff like that. And normally they do that outside their city and end up being that subjects involved in this were from a gang that was probably three or four cities southeast of the city that I work in. So prominent gang, known gang, just different cities. So it makes sense that they're in our city ruffling a bunch of feathers and then going back to their city to chill, right? Okay. So the next morning I show up, I've seen this video. During the video, Anne's getting beat up, multiple punches to the face. At one point, Yeti starts to strangle her. And then she actually says, give me a knife. And uh, one of the guys hands her like a little pocket knife, like a three or four inch pocket knife. And Anne's on her back. Yeti's on top of her straddling her. And she has her by the throat, strangling her. And she takes that knife and she like, points it right at her face. And she says, I should kill you right now. I should just kill you right now. And Anne couldn't do a thing about it. Yeti ends up letting her up, comes back out, slaps her around a few more times. And the whole time she's just saying like, I didn't do anything. Like I'm here. I just went for a walk. I didn't do anything. Anne is saying that? Anne is saying that. So we end up taking five people to jail. There were seven people in the hotel room. Five of them went to jail for different reasons. Two other people were allowed to leave. There was nothing on them. They had nothing, no warrants. They left. So I interview Yeti first. The next morning I come in, I have a crime report that the officers took. I talk again to some of the responding officers. And I say, okay, well, I'm going to go investigate this like a domestic violence, even though I think something's up here. This is not like a classic DV case. So I talk to Yeti, and Yeti is playing the victim, right? She's just playing the victim big time. She's slumped down in her chair, sniffling like she'd been crying. She can't believe she'd get into this argument. Now, keep in mind, Yeti doesn't know that I've seen the video. Oh. Yeah, no one knows I've seen the video other than Martin and the subject that went to jail for narcotics possession. No one knows that these videos have been watched. So she's like, you know, we got into an argument just a lover spat and we started to heat each other and I'm just bigger than her. So I think I might've got the better of her. I really love Anne. She's my girl, my ride or die chick until the end. And so I go, ride or die chick? Talk to me about that. What do you mean, ride or die chick? And she starts to get into the fact that her herself, Yeti, is in fact a gang member. And Anne hangs out with her and her gang buddies. Anne's not a gang member, but she hangs out and she knows stuff they do. Is that allowed? You could hang out with the gang, but not be part of the gang? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You just better not talk about what you've witnessed. Yeah. You know, gangs have kind of evolved from, um, you know, I live on 51st Street and 100th Street, so I'm from the 51st Street gang, to, you know, I have a buddy who can make money in the city next over, so we can actually collaborate to make money together 
And that way we're not fighting, right? It's kind of evolved from this is my hood, don't do anything. We're going to wear Nike Cortez and stand on the corner and look like a bunch of gangsters to I'm going to dress normal, but deep down I'm a gangster and I'll slice you. I see. So like this is now the time period where, yes, they have a quote unquote hood that they belong to, but it's not outside their scope to work with other hoods to make money. It's a little more entrepreneurial, for lack of a better word. And a lot of that comes from the prisons, right? So the orders are from prison, like, no, 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 hey, that's their territory. All of you will pay your taxes up to one person, which are not members of your gang anyway. So make money, don't make trouble. I mean, there's still turf battles, but not as prevalent as what you saw in the 80s and 90s. Okay, so you're interviewing Yeti, and she's playing the victim and saying Anne's her lover and her ride-or-die chick. Anne's my ride-or-die chick, and then I go into how they met, and Yeti gives me this really drawn-out fake story about knowing Anne since they were little, and Yeti was able to get her away from her family. She's having trouble at home. Now she stays with me, and I thought Anne was cheating on me. That's why I was beating her up. So I don't buy any of this. I'm just looking at her like, if you only knew, Yeti. <laughs> Saw the video. Right. But apart from that, your bullshit meter is spiking. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I found out her dad was a gangster. She lived on the streets. She had told me she herself was a victim of a sex crime, like a human trafficking. Yeti is saying, I'm the victim of a human trafficking sex crime? Yeah. So... She's saying, yeah, you know, I've been victimized. You know, I've been sold as a prostitute and I had a pimp. She had a tattoo that was prevalent for prostitutes to have. A lot of prostitutes will have the tattoo of like the mark of their pimps. Like a brand. It's like a brand. And it'll say like my Ray or my King. And it'll have a name and like a King hat or whatever. And that means like I belong to him. Right. So no matter where I go, even if I'm working for someone else, I still have his tat on me. So I asked her about the tat. I saw the tat and I said, hey, what's up with your tattoo? You're out there working the streets too or what? She says, yeah, I, I did. I did. I started with the streets. You know, I was made to do certain things that I didn't want to do. And so now I've got some information that she knows what human trafficking looks like, right? What new age prostitution, I guess you could call it, looks like. Something I want to touch on, and this has come up with our listeners during varying episodes, is the term prostitute. We understand that these people are sex workers. But the term prostitute, in my experience in dealing with these women, is that's actually how they identify themselves, that I am a prostitute. And so when we use that term, it's not to demean them. And it's not that we're not aware of the new terms that people use, but that's how they actually identify themselves. So that's why we use that term. Yeah. And when you have a conversation with them, they don't want you to downplay what they do. These are some of the most real people you'll ever talk to. And so if you're talking to them and you're not engaged with them on their level, they're not going to respect you. If you don't respect what they're about, they're sure as heck not going to respect what you're about. Cops, newer cops or less experienced cops, you have to adapt to whatever time, place, and circumstance that you're involved in. So I choose to let whoever I'm contacting kind of predict the type of language that I'm going to use with them. Somebody who's very forthright and polite and they're like, officer, 
they're going to get sir from me. There are other aspects of our society that if I say, yes, sir, or hey, sir, how are you doing? They don't respect you at all because they're like, oh, look, he's a pussy. He's calling me sir. So people outside of our industry don't understand that sometimes they hear colorful language from police officers. It's because we have to be masters at multiple dynamics with society. You're mirroring. Right, you're mirroring. One approach doesn't cover everybody we're going to deal with. Right. So so I'm talking to her and I'm just hearing what Yeti's saying and I'm not buying it, but I get it, right? She's a gangster. She's not giving up the ghost. I mean, she wants to get taken to jail for domestic violence in this situation, right? Yeti does? Yeah, of course, because Yeti doesn't want what's truly happening to be revealed. So, hey, it's just much easier to fight a domestic violence beef. I'm a female. They're not doing anything to me on domestic violence right now. Okay, so I bring in Anne after, and I talk to her because she's also facing charges, and she's much more docile, not a gangster at all. Is Yeti beat up at all? Why is Anne facing charges? Because of the statements that were provided to officers that night, and then once they got back to the actual station with everybody, that's when they got consent. So everyone's already in jail because the statements they got at the motel. But keeping them there helps the investigation, right? We have legal cause to have them there. There's reason to believe that they're involved in a fight. We're going to get to the bottom of it. So I bring Anne in, and the interview was a lot different than the interview with Yeti. It was... You know, I don't know why you guys brought me to jail. I'm the victim here. Look at my face. Look at my throat. He stuck a knife to me. Now, she doesn't know I've seen the video yet either, right? So she's telling me actual facts of what occurred in the video that I saw. And then now I'm like, okay, I'm starting to pick up what Ann's throwing down here, right? Probable cause can come and go based on facts that you learned through the investigation. Correct. And so now I'm thinking, okay, Ann's a victim. And I asked her, what caused the fight? And then she kind of sits there yeah, eyes going, head moving. I'm like, hey, Ann, I mean, what's up? I don't think that's your girlfriend. Oh, no, I, I love her. I love her. I go, okay. But, I mean, what's what's going on here, Ann? Like, talk to me about this. During the interview, more facts come to light. And she tells me, hey, listen, I don't know any of those people in that room. I barely met them like five, six days ago. I go, including Yeti? She goes, no, I know Yeti a little bit better. I go, okay. So when did you first meet him? And she goes, well, it was about a week ago. I was at a bus stop and I ran away from my house. I have nothing. You know, I'm in my 20s. I don't have a job. I don't have education. And I'm living off my parents. And I said, you know, I'm just going to go. So I got onto a bus stop and this car passes and it's like three gangsters and Yeti. And she had known Yeti through street contacts that she had made just growing up in the area. And Yeti tells her, hey, what are you doing? You know, come kick it with us. Come kick it with us. So I said, all right, I knew her. I go, well, how did you know her? Well, I knew her because of drugs. Like, I knew her. She was a drug contact. If I needed to score or whatever, I could hit up people through Yeti, and Yeti could give me drugs. Okay. So Anne's in the car with them, and it's Martin, who we talked about earlier, is giving him the phone away, and another known gang member from this same gang, and Yeti. And they go to a motel room, and they have, like, a three-day party where... They're ordering food, they're drinking beer, doing drugs. They took Anne to get her nails done, and they showed her a good time. They pretty much told her, you kick it with us, you don't have to worry about your parents. We'll take care of you, we're making money, we're getting all this stuff. And Anne's like buying into this. Ain't nothing for free. Especially in that circle of people, right? So 
they're together a few days. Anne decides to try to leave a hotel room. And this time it's two different guys and Yeti and her. And she tries to leave and they say, no, you're not leaving, right? She says, well, why not? I need to go home. Like it's been a few days. They're like, no, no, no. You got to make us money now. And so she says, okay, well, like what? You want me to go steal something? Like I can run your errands. I can do stuff for you. And they're like, no, 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 no. They made a sex video with Anne that day. They said, we're going to party some more. They drank and drank and drank, partied. She said she'd go along with it because she didn't really want to get beat up or hurt. Next thing you know, her inhibitions are severely loosened, right? And they bring in a video and they have a guy come in who's part of the gang and he has sex with her right there on the bed. Now we're in the coercive type of dynamic here where she wanted to leave and they say, we decide when you get to leave the party. And, oh, by the way, because you're partying with us, this is what you owe us. So somebody could come back and say, well, look, she agreed to do this. No, under any other circumstance, she would not have consented to that. She realizes this is a survival tactic, I'm guessing, part of it. Yeah, for sure. So now she's going to be placed on a public domain website where people can look at her having sex and the caption will read, you know, for this good time, contact this number and you're being sold. Did she know that? She didn't know that. As the story progresses, she finds out what websites she was put on, right? And I actually went onto the websites and pulled footage. And they're like kind of everyday normal porn sites that people use. These aren't hidden places. It was very public. So Anne ends up telling me now that, okay, from that hotel room, then they came to the hotel room in my city, and then she decides to leave. She's telling everyone, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm just going to go to the gas station to get you Cheetos, right? I'll be back. And they let her go. Because now it's been like three or four days since the video's made, and she's turned like two or three tricks by now, right? And so she says, all right, I'm going to go buy them Cheetos and try to get a bus and go. Well, so she does. She tries to. Little does she know, two of the guys that weren't at the hotel yet were showing up to the room. To have sex with her? No, they're part of the gang. They're just going to go have a party in the motel room. But they see Anne. One of them recognizes her, and they come up to her. And they don't know they're, like, forcing her back to the hotel. They didn't go with the intent of saying, hey, where'd you go? They just saw her at the convenience store and said, hey, we'll give you a ride back. And now she's like, well... Dang, man, like, I'm stuck again, right? Can't get away from these guys. So they go back, and she was somewhere she wasn't supposed to be. She was supposed to go to the one on the corner. She went to the one way down the street because she was leaving, right? So they find out, well, where'd you pick her up? Oh, we just picked Anna up down off of, you know, this street and this street, down the street this way. And they were like, there's a convenience store literally next to our motel room. You're supposed to go to that one. You've been gone too long. What were you doing? Jeez. And it was nothing, nothing. I just wanted fresh air. I just wanted fresh air. And then that led to the fight. So I said, okay, that makes sense. So uh, now what do we do? How old is Yeti? Yeti's in her 20s. She's an active gangster in her mid-20s. She'd been around the block a while. She knew it was up. She had connections with some pretty high-level ranking street gang members, if that's a thing, right? Some people with some juice, they call it, you know? So now it's like, okay, well, what do we do? Obviously, this is not a domestic violence case. At this point, I take Yeti to jail on an assault charge. So we end up leaving Yeti in jail to face her charges at court. We release Anne and send her back home. She lives with her mom. We send her back home. I'm 
starting to talk a little bit about a human trafficking angle, but really we have just Anne's words, right? I mean, we don't have anything else. So I go talk to Martin because Anne had mentioned Martin as the one that picked her up in the car. So I go, hey, he's still in jail, right? On some hold or whatever. I'm going to go talk to him, see what he has to say about all this. And Martin gave you guys his phone because he was one of the ones who videoed the fight. Yeah, and he was on parole at that time. If you were on parole, you could search stuff like that without getting warrants. Now like, there's more laws on the books where you can't search their phones and stuff. So we grabbed his phone. We told him, hey, listen, man, we saw the video. You can go down as accessory to attempt murder, man. I mean, right? And he says, listen, man, that was no domestic violence. They're trafficking that chick, man. I knew she was going to leave. I told her to leave. I told her to go to the other one. We're like, really? He goes, yeah, I did. You mean Martin saying that he told Anne to go to the other convenience store and there she should get the bus and just leave? Yeah. He was saying they were doing that to Anne. She tried to leave twice. They wouldn't let her. They did all sorts of things to that poor girl. Enough is enough already. You know, I have a little heart. So it was just me, her, and homegirl at the hotel in the room at the time. He called Yeti homegirl. Yeti took a shower, and I told Anne, hey, bounce. I'll say you went to get some Cheetos or you'll be back. Just bounce. Martin's got a heart. Yeah, Martin's got a heart. That heart goes away soon, but he has a heart. So that's how she ended up even getting out anyways, because Yeti would have never let her leave, I don't think. So Yeti was pissed. That's why Yeti, in the video, she tells Anne, I don't give a shit who tells you to leave. I tell you to leave, right? I'm your boss type deal, right? And so Martin tells me, yeah, man, Yeti's no joke. She's the bottom bitch. She's a bottom bitch. And I had no clue what that meant. I had never worked a human trafficking case up until this point. This is the first one I ever worked. And I had no clue what this terminology was. I just knew this wasn't domestic violence. You're going to have to explain it for our listeners. So I asked him, I said, well, hey, what's bottom bitch mean? And he says, that bitch about the bottom line. She's the bottom line. What she says goes, she keeps all their girls in line. If they need something, she gets it for them. If they're stepping out of bounds, she puts them back in bounds. She's basically like the modern day madam where she's, you know, the heavy. There's like girls in here that'll come and do makeup and talk to them and bring them treats. And then there's the girls like Yeti who will come and beat someone down if they're stepping outside the lines of what they're supposed to do or told to do. And so that's what a bottom bitch is. It's someone who comes in and sets the line of what's acceptable for these victims to do. Now, is Yeti working for someone or is Yeti the whole operation? Nope, Yeti's working for someone. Yeti, and what's interesting is what I found later on and It's been some time since I've worked a straight-up human trafficking case. But then, from the intelligence I'd gathered talking to task forces, because once I started working this, it opened up the floodgates. And I'm one of those guys, when he jumps in, he jumps all in. So I wanted to be the expert. I wanted to be the man to go to for human trafficking. So I reached out and left no stone unturned, right, and finding out how I could be the best human trafficking detective out there. And I learned that most of these bottom bitches themselves were once in the position of being the victim and that they had kind of worked their favor up. And now they had this kind of Stockholm syndrome where they now became loved and respected and felt, oh, you're giving me more privileges and responsibilities, so I'll help you guys out. And I'm not the one having to turn the tricks anymore. So when Yeti told me earlier that she had been herself cause to do these things. Now I thought, oh, maybe she did tell me the truth. And, you know, she worked her way up to be the bottom bitch. So I'm starting to see this thing. She works for a major gang, right? So 
Gangs are like corporations. They make money all sorts of ways. A good organization doesn't just make money one way. Think of someone like 3M or Disney or someone like that. They do multiple things that bring them money. Gangs are just like that, right? They have specialized gangsters that go out and steal cars and run chop shops. They have specialized gangsters that act as security. They have specialized gangsters that run the dope on the streets, right? Some of those guys are jacks of all trade. The deep, good gangs, the generational gangs, the ones that have been around a while, they know where to go to for the chop shops. They know where to go to for the dope. They know where to go to for the guns. They know where to go to to hide something, right? They have specialties. Now, one of those specialties is human trafficking. They diversify the portfolio. Right. So just to clarify, you're saying that the old school gangs, the ones that are generations deep, used to outsource all that stuff, drugs, chop shops, all that. But now everyone, even the old school gangs, build their own empires by keeping all that business in-house because that's more efficient, it's more profitable, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So Martin starts to kind of tell us a little bit about this, right? Like, hey, man, Yeti works with so-and-so and so-and-so, brother and sister, who are big into human trafficking, and they run like 30, 40 girls, man, out of motels all throughout these cities. And I was like, whoa. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, small town fam. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? So as the days get longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security that we recommend. Hey, small town fam. Detective Dave here. Yardley's right. As a former police officer who's responded to hundreds of alarm calls, the benefits of Simply Safe cannot be understated. On Small Town Dicks, we often discuss home security and situational awareness. Simply Safe provides an easy and effective way for you to accomplish both. 
Simply Safe was just named Best Home Security System of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report and recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. And you, small town fam, can test out a Simply Safe system with absolutely no risk to you with Simply Safe's 60 day risk free trial. If you don't love your system, return it for a full refund. So protect your home today. Our listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Be sure to take advantage of the Small Town Fam discount at simplysafe.com slash small town. That's simplysafe.com slash small town. Do it. Now, what Martin was trying to do is he's trying to avoid this dope beef that he has because he's a previously reported felon and he's like, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't even like this. And he was right. He didn't. He had nothing to do with the trafficking organization per se. Why was he there? Well, so he was the dope guy, right? His specialty is narcotics and they had narcotics in the room. He was bringing them narcotics. And so when you go there and it's your gang, you're going to party up a little bit. He picks up this girl because he's seen her before, right? He knows what they're doing. It's interesting that Martin picks Anne up and then shortly afterward tells her, now's your chance to escape. What is that? So he picked her up the first time. The second time Anne got picked up from the store was two different guys. Oh. But Martin's there as a dope source that day. So he's the one that brought, I think it was methamphetamine there. So... He tells us more story, and we're like, okay. Now, this time, we ended up letting him go through on his drug charge and took his statements for this case. And I start to reach out to these different task forces that are working human trafficking. Hey, what do I do here, guys? (laughs) How do I investigate this? Well, you don't know what you don't know about having to build these cases. Yeah, I had no clue. So we have another instance now. Another instance? Yeah. So a few days go by. The case goes to court. Yeti gets charged with assault, a simple assault. They don't charge her with assault, a deadly weapon for having the knife. They just charged her with the simple assault, partly because we were having troubles getting Anne to come to court and to talk. It was a struggle. And so they said, hey, we're just going to take her on simple assault because we can't get your victim in to talk and to clarify some of these things. Yes, the video is striking, right? That's good evidence. But in the video, Anne does attempt to fight back at first. She just gets overpowered. So now it's like a... Mutual combat. Mutual combat, exactly. Did you say mutual? Yeah, so it's like two people agreeing to fight. Is that a technical law enforcement term, mutual combat? It's commonly used in law enforcement. But, you know, the argument from the defense side is going to be, well, they're both engaging in it. It's not just an assault. They're both agreeing to fight, and that's what you're seeing. One of them's losing. But that doesn't matter. Yeah, that's the argument. Okay. Hmm. So Yeti gets out. The other two parolees get out. They all go back to a man named Andy and a girl named Gina. Andy and Gina are brother and sister. Andy's a very prominent gang member for this particular gang, and his sister is ruthless as well. Their parents are ruthless. It's a gang member family. And Andy kind of oversaw multiple different specialties of this gang. 
He oversaw what was happening in the human trafficking aspect. He helped run some chop shops. And Gina was in charge of overseeing all these girls being run. And she used people like Yeti to be her bouncer, her bottom bitch. She had three of them, but one of them was Yeti. So you can kind of see the hierarchy now. Yeah, I'm seeing... uh chief operations officer is Andy. And now you've got a uh, supervisor. One of three is Yeti. Yes. And so now we just have to prove this. So I get with Varsity. I say, hey, we need to start doing some surveillance on Andy and Gina's house. See what they do on a daily basis. About four or five days into this, Ann shows up at the police department. Beat down. Beat down. Missing tooth, burns, ligature marks. I mean, severely injured. And so I go, come on in, sit down. What's going on? Yeti got out and she found you again, huh? She goes, yeah, that was my fault. I go, what do you mean it's your fault? Uh, I went back. I'm just having a hard time at home. I can't stand my parents. I just went back. Are her parents abusive? No, she's just, she's addicted to drugs. She's got a drug problem. And her parents, they're actually nice, good people that are trying to help. And older school, Latin family, dad's kind of a, you know, no, my way, my house, my rules. I don't care if you're 10 or if you're 24. You're not doing anything with your life. You're not bringing that crap to my house or get out. That tough love, right? And so she gets out. So she meets back up. And it's really Gina who's the one that facilitates Anne getting back with Yeti. So now they want to know what she said. Why did Ann not go to jail for this too? Why does she not have a simple assault charge on her too? Right? What did you say? Hey, and you know what? Andy thinks he saw some guys following him and maybe cops. So what the hell did you say? So they take her to another motel room in an adjacent city and they tie her to a chair. She had ligature marks on her hands, on her feet. They tied her to the chair and they started to burn her with a meth pipe all throughout her body. They punch her, they whittled her neck with a knife, they whittled her side with a knife, right? Just slowly but surely digging it in there. They caused her to do some drugs. So Gina's overseeing this the entire time at the motel. She's the one that's facilitating the torture. It's torture. We charged them with torture. She is torturing and with Yeti and another male present. Yeti and the male leave. Gina goes downstairs to make a phone call and Ann manages to get out. Ann's able to exit the motel room half naked and get to the manager of the motel. He has like a station, like a little room. She runs to the managers, rings the bell. It's at night. He opens it up and sees this half naked, beaten down girl and says, oh, come in. I'm calling the cops. So she actually convinces him not to call the cops, but to call her sister. So they call the sister. The sister picks her up, takes her home. In the morning, they come straight to the police department. Probably with some convincing by the sister, because Anne knows what happened the last time she went to the cops. She ends up at this hotel. So I'm sure the sister did some uh, persuasive speaking overnight. Yeah. There was more push than not from the sister, but... And did recognize that she needed help. She said, they were going to kill me. They were talking about burning me. They were talking about where they're going to take me. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. They think I told on everything. And really, Anne didn't 
tell about the structure. Martin did. Right. It was bad. She hadn't even gone to the doctor yet. We took her to the doctor, got her patched up a little bit. She had really nasty burns on her face, her neck, her arms, her forearms, her legs. She said what they were doing is they were smoking methamphetamine, getting the pookie. The pookie is the glass pipe that stores are allowed to sell under the guise of oil burners, which boggles my mind. Right. They're unmistakable-looking pipes. Every time you see them, you're like, okay. Yeah. has a bulb on the end and a long kind of straw-like glass cylinder that leads to the bulb. Anyways, they were smoking meth the whole time, and when they would get it super hot, they'd stick it on her, ask her some questions, and uh, they got her pretty good. Cut her hair all patchy, yanked her hair out. Just completely beat her down and humiliate her. Humiliated and tortured her. So... I say, okay, I'm going to put you in to a safe house. Because do you feel like her testimony is good enough that you might be able to bring down some really high-level gang people? Yep. So in that particular instance, and kind of absolves Yeti from knowing about the beatdown that bad, only that she's there because Yeti— Came, she saw her there, they talked, they slapped her around again, but then Yeti left. And then it was Gina and the guy who did the serious damage after Yeti's gone. Do you believe that? I do believe that, and this is why I believe that. By this time now, a few days had passed, we started to develop some leads, we started to develop some people where they would go during the day and who they'd visit and stuff like that. And it came down that Yeti was managing multiple females, multiple motel rooms and she would never be in one spot at a long time she'd come here do her job go to the next one do her job right facilitate the guys going to the hotel rooms make sure that the girl is cool with the guy in the room and then swap rooms she did so many other things i think ann was telling us the truth by then matter of fact when ann comes in i say hey we got to go to the hotel room and see if there's anything left in there after the torture so we go we get surveillance video we get clean surveillance video of Yeti leaving, but of Gina going into the hotel room and then Gina and the guy coming out talking, going back into the hotel room. And there's clean video of the guy leaving and then Gina coming out, walking down the stairs on her phone and then Anne escaping. There's clean video of that. It corroborated what she was telling us and that Yeti wasn't quite there. And so Yeti, to avoid prosecution and kidnap and torture, she actually comes back to the station and says, I've been a victim the whole time. They're going to beat my ass and kill me too. And because we don't know a lot about these cases, we kind of buy into the story that Yeti's being caused by these really scary known gangsters to act this way. Fear and force, as you say. Right. And so she ends up talking to our victim's advocate. I wasn't there, so another detective was there kind of overseeing it. And they kind of buy the story. And they end up putting Getty into a safe house. Not the same safe house. (laughs) The same. Oh, no. Federal safe house. Yes. And Ann sees her walk through the door and is like, motherfucker. They left together. They left together within one night. They hopped the wall and they bounced. We got a call the next day. And it's crazy because the one thing they told us when we put them there is we'll house them. We can't make them stay here. This is totally voluntary on their part. We don't chase. We don't notify. Nothing. Because they're not in custody. Because they're not in custody. 
We provide living arrangements for them. We provide them necessities for life or whatever. We'll even teach them some classes, but it's all voluntary. If they don't want to come to class, they don't have to come to class. But I mean, that's the resources that's there. When I say safe house, I don't mean like under 24-hour watch from law enforcement and stuff like that. No, this is just a house that no one knows the address. They don't even give the address out. So lucky enough, the lady who took Anne calls us and says, hey, I just wanted you to know, I mean, this is kind of outside our bounds, but they left together. You mean the woman who is in charge of the safe house? The woman who came and picked up Anne from the police department to take her to the safe house? She knew a little bit about the case because Anne had opened up to her and she says, hey, yeah, they, they left together. First off, that's kind of a no-no, right? We should have had much better oversight in placement. They should never end up at the same place. Yeah, and looking back at it and then going to talk to the advocate especially, she was like, listen, Scott, I didn't even make the connection that that's where you sent Anne. I didn't even know. I go, yeah, I get it. I get it. You wouldn't, I, nor did I tell her, right? So this is just who's on our list of places we can send domestic violence victims, sexual assault victims. They got an opening, take them. I thought maybe later on down in this case, if it were ever to get to court, which it did, we would catch hell for that, right? And that ended up being, that's a trackable, honest mistake. That was done in good faith. There was nothing nefarious about it. And it wasn't because of incompetence or negligence. Yeah, I think there's maybe two safe houses in the county we work in, there's two safe houses that you can use and they're full 90% of the time. So it's slim pickings here too. It's not like there's vast amount of resources for this. So Yeti and Anne end up leaving, which scares us. Nothing bad happens to Anne, but with all that footage, we have a great human trafficking case, a great kidnapping torture case, a great case against Gina and this other male and Yeti as well. I mean, she was there. She actually came in and said, yeah, I knew that they took her to the hotel room, but I don't know what they did to her. I left, but when I went back, they said all hell broke loose. And I was like, ah, right. Hearing her story now, but they bought into it. She gets to the safe house. They end up running away together. Anne contacts her mom. Her mom calls us. We went and picked up Anne again. So we were able to get Anne again. And we actually took her to a completely different county and held her at a little bit more of a... More controlled access. Yeah, where her parents were now involved in keeping her there as well. It was more of like a institution where you could go and seek help for mental issues you had, drug addictions. It wasn't like a sexual assault, domestic violence shelter house. This is more of a controlled, we'll know your movements now. Still had no clue where Yeti went. So we end up getting arrest warrants on... Gina, Yeti, and like four other people that were involved. We had done multiple surveillances on Yeti. We seen her go in. We stopped the Johns. We did a bunch of stuff. What about Andy? Andy was safe up to this point. We had not made a good connection with him other than what Martin told us. Good old Martin. So Martin gets out of jail and we had kind of thought he would cooperate with us. We gave him our business cards. He seemed like he had that hey man, I just kind of did what I had to do because I'm undocumented and I can't really get a job and I kind of grew up in the area and I feel like my uh, chances are limited. So I just went with what was going to provide for my family and I kind of empathize with that, right? I, okay, okay, we'll help you out. But he never did. He went back and ended up still, you know, doing his drug thing. And so we contacted him to be a witness in this case and he was like, yeah, sure, no, <laughs> right? And so he was in the wind. We could never find him ever again. I have no clue where Martin went. Really? No. 
we had good statements on the dude, recorded interviews and stuff, but you need him there in court. Now it's all hearsay. I think I've asked this question probably 10 times over the course of this podcast, but why is it hearsay if Martin himself is on tape saying what happened and you're not getting an account of what happened from a third party? Because the defense has a right to question that witness. And if they're not able to do that, then it's ruled as hearsay. Even though you have a firsthand account on a legitimate recording. Yeah, and the defense can try to pick that apart. And if they're not given that opportunity, then it's not admissible. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we still have Anne, and we still have the video footage. We have all our injuries. We have a good case here. After surveillance and putting the package together, and again, working with the district attorney's office, the special prosecutors over gang cases, we charged them with human trafficking. There was like four counts of human trafficking. There was torturing, kidnap with intent to commit a felony, which is a life case. We had a bunch of stuff on these people. And prelim comes. We have Anne at the court. We do an interview with the DA. We get everything ready. All the defense get brought in. And the lunch hour comes. So we take a break for lunch. Anne's there in the court, in the district attorney's office, talking to the victim's advocate at the DA's office, starting to fill out victim compensation paperwork, all the paperwork that goes along with getting resources, again, to furtherance of your help from the county as opposed to our city. There's a difference. There's a lot more in the county than our city. So she's filling out all that stuff. And we go up to have a quick hearing prior to lunch, thinking Anne's in good hands. And we get back down and Anne left. Anne left. So... We searched and searched and searched. Mom had no clue where she went. She's gone. To this day, have no clue where Anne went. Hey, small town fam. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? So as the days get longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security that we recommend. Hey, small town fam, Detective Dave here. Yardley's right. As a former police officer who's responded to hundreds of alarm calls, the benefits of Simply Safe cannot be understated. On Small Town Dicks, we often discuss home security and situational awareness. Simply Safe provides an easy and effective way for you to accomplish both. Simply Safe was just named Best Home Security System of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report and recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. And you, small town fam, can test out a Simply Safe system with absolutely no risk to you with Simply Safe's 60-day risk-free trial. If you don't love your system, return it for a full refund. So protect your home today. Our listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Be sure to take advantage of the Small Town Fam discount at simplysafe.com slash smalltown. That's simplysafe.com slash smalltown. Do it. So now here's the conundrum. How do you stop this from happening in a justice system that's supposed to protect victims? Research suggests that victims of domestic violence and victims of sexual assault 
their victimology mirrors that of those that have Stockholm Syndrome. They can actually end up becoming a supporter of their predator. They end up sympathizing with them, and that's what Stockholm Syndrome is, right? Right. But just to play devil's advocate, while research might, in fact, conclude that these victims come to support or bond with their abuser, like in Stockholm Syndrome— The very nature of research is that it reflects a majority finding, right? It doesn't have the tools to address individual circumstances. And I'm just saying that because I'm sure there are plenty of survivors out there who feel like I never bonded with or supported my abuser. I just couldn't leave because I feared for my life. I thought he was going to kill me. And that's why I stayed. Of course. So in domestic violence... Most state legislators have come to the agreement that you can have a preliminary hearing without the victim. You can pursue a charge and have a trial without the victim. It's called the Crawford exceptions, Crawford versus Washington. A Crawford exception states, if you have overwhelming evidence that this crime occurred, overwhelming evidence for Crawford purposes would be, for example, it's not like a complete enumeration of the Crawford exceptions, but these are some of the big ones. 911 phone calls, witness statements, medical history, and injuries. So if you can meet all those criteria, the victim never has to show up to court because of the victimology of a domestic violence victim which is that the victim may be too terrified to testify against their abuser, or they might be reluctant because they actually want to protect their abuser, but either way. Yeah. So if we can do that for a domestic violence case, and their victimology is the same for a sexual assault victim's case, or the same victimology for a human trafficking victim's case, why do we have to have them present for a prelim hearing? That was my argument. And the judge wasn't having any part of it because that's not on the books. But I since became a huge advocate to allow Crawford exceptions to kind of open up the scope of not just domestic violence, but also sexual assault and human trafficking, should you have an overabundance of evidence to suggest it happened. So it was very sad to see these gangsters walk out of the courtroom because we couldn't hold a preliminary hearing because the victim freaked out and went. So you don't get the exception. The charges, by default, they have to be dropped because we're not falling into these exceptions. Case dismissed. Six people facing life for human trafficking, kidnap with intent to torture or commit a felony out in the streets. Because they have the right to confront their accuser. Who in this case is Anne. Yeah. She ran away from a safe house with these people. She went back after being beat with these people. This is classic victimology here. Even if it's not Stockholm Syndrome, she's just terrified that she's probably going to be murdered. Yeah. She sees these people as her family. You can't even get in court and testify against your family member or your spouse. So if this is the same victimology, they're experiencing the same psychological effects as a victim. Oh, but it's not domestic violence. It's something else. But the result is the same. The result's the same. It's the same victimology. Yet he's just the same type of care provider as a parent or a guardian in that situation. Yeah, she's laying down the rules. So Anne's in the wind. Anne's gone. Yeti, Andy, Gina, Martin, all in the wind. Well, Gina's actually in prison for murder. Oh. I got called about four months after this case from a homicide detective. 
And he said, hey, I ran this name through this clearinghouse deconfliction database that most officers use in cases like this because you're trying to connect to different states, to different agencies, working the same people. And I noticed your name was on here for human trafficking. And hey, uh, I have your girl on the hook for pulling the trigger in this murder. I go, dude, can we throw in a kidnapping? (laughs) (laughs) Right, Gina's hardcore. So I actually provided him all of our evidence, including the video, the pictures, everything. They actually used some of that in their preparation and creating a packet of who this lady really was. And this is a pattern of behavior for her. Yeah. I mean, potentially what you're trying to do when you go to trial there is if you can establish a pattern of behavior, you can use prior bad acts against her while you're prosecuting her. Yeah. Anne's case isn't a total loss. No. I mean, that plays into Gina's later murder conviction to some extent. And did Gina commit this murder after she walked free in the Ann case, or was it before and then they found out after she walked free from the Ann case? The murder occurred prior to the case with Ann, and they were investigating her the entire time we were, and she was arrested and convicted after the dismissal. Oh, wow. Ann's family, do they have any idea where she is? You know, the last time I talked to the mother was maybe nine months to a year after the dismissal. And it was one of those things where I was working another human trafficking case and she just kept coming across my mind, right? What else could we have done? Being in the same safe house really ruined it. There's a lot of things that I think we could have done. Even the first safe house, like maybe we should have just kept her with the parents. I don't know. There's things we could have maybe tried to do and so she was always on my mind. And so I called back the mom once and asked, hey, have you heard from Ann? She said, I hear from her time to time. She moved to a different state. She was living with some extended family and who knows what she was doing there. The mom said she was still dibbling and dabbling with drugs and having a problem. So who knows what she was doing in that different state. But she was no longer under the control of Yeti. Any further contact with Yeti? No, nothing. Oh, maybe you helped rehabilitate her. yeah. I sent Varsity out a few times just to follow them around, see what they were doing. They came up with some stuff and forwarded some pictures to some other agencies of stuff they had seen. And I venture to say if I ran her name, she'd be in jail or something. Oh, Scott. Well, thanks for advocating for Anne anyway, even though she ran away. Twice. (laughs) Yeah, twice. (laughs) That case, that was your first human trafficking case. And you probably learned so much from it. You learned from mistakes and you learned from things that you did well, but... Those ones do stick with you where you shoulda, woulda, coulda. And if I knew then what I know now. Yeah. I come back to why is it so difficult to prosecute those cases? Like, why do they make it so difficult to prosecute those cases? Everyone wants to be an advocate for that because it's a hot topic, but people don't do anything for it. Yeah, you can raise some money and, you know, open up a big house with 12 rooms to have people housed. But in the end... If that person runs away from the courtroom, what'd you spend your money on? Why don't you spend your money in Washington trying to create some legislation that actually really does work? Those Crawford exceptions are there. They just can't be used for certain crimes. Only one, domestic violence. The suspects are never on the hook for anything, so they never have to account for it. Yeah, it's crazy to me, man. That is crazy. Thank you so much for being here. What an incredible story. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Small Town Dicks is produced by Gary Scott and Yardley Smith and co-produced by Detectives Dan and Dave. 
This episode was edited by Soaring Bajan, Gary Scott, and me, Yardley Smith. Our associate producers are Aaron Gaynor and The Real Nick Smitty. Our music is composed by John Forrest. Our editors extraordinaire are Logan Heftel and Soaring Bajan. And our books are cooked and cats wrangled by Ben Cornwell. If you like what you hear and want to stay up to date with the show, visit us on our website at smalltowndicks.com. Small Town Dicks would like to thank Speech Docs for providing transcripts of this podcast. You can find these transcripts on our episode page at smalltowndicks.com. And for more information about Speech Docs and their service, please go to speechdocs.com. And join the Small Town Fam by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Small Town Dicks. We love hearing from you. And if you support us on Patreon, your subscription will give you access to exclusive content and merchandise that isn't available anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash smalltowndickspodcast. That's right. Your subscription also makes it possible for us to keep going to small towns across the country in search of the finest, rare, true crime cases told, as always, by the detectives who investigated them. So thanks for listening, small town fam. Nobody's better than you.